Good morning, everyone. Uh, so about a week uh, or so ago, we had a men's quiz night here. Um, uh, many of you uh, were here, and we had a, a good night. And I had the, the honor of being the, the uh, quiz master that night. Um, now, I've done quite a few quizzes in the past. And uh, one round that I often like to do is like a news stories, kind of current affairs type round. Um, and I try and find some, some lighter news stories, some amusing news stories uh, to ask questions about. Uh, so in preparation for the quiz last week, I started to trawl back through some of the news stories of 2023. And I think what struck me was how difficult it was to find stories that were a little bit lighter or stories that were a bit more amusing. Um, instead, it was full of stories about war, stories about natural disasters, crimes people have committed, or political turmoil. Uh, just the other week, Graham from the front said that he now no longer watches the news before going to bed. And I think if your view of the world was entirely formed by the news, then your vision of this world would be one that is totally bereft of joy, a world full of sorrow and sadness. And I don't think that this is particularly helped by the digital age we live in. We have you know, 24-hour news cycles. We have notifications coming up on our phone. We have social media that is often designed to portray a lifestyle that, for so many of us, is out of reach and unattainable. I was reading this week that uh, in Britain, there's been an explosion in anxiety, particularly in young adults, where in the last 10 years it has trebled. Uh, there was a recent study that showed an estimated 30% of young adults aged 18 to 24 suffer from anxiety. And I guess that's the reality, that we live in a fallen world. We live in a world where sorrow will come our way. Uh, Jesus said in John 16, in this world you will have trouble. Sorrow is inevitable, and as Christians we are not immune to it. But Jesus' will for our lives is that his joy may be in us and that our joy may be complete. But here's the thing, whereas sorrow is inevitable, joy is not. Joy is something that we have to choose. So, so far in our series on Sabbath, we have heard Brian talking about stopping. Then last week we heard Adrian talk about resting. And this week we look at how to delight in Sabbath. So if you're in a small group, uh, in this week's session you will hear John Mark Comer talk about Sabbath. And he says that Sabbath is actually a delivery mechanism for joy or for delight. Sabbath, Sabbath gives us the space and the time to be able to delight and to rejoice in God's world. It gives us the space and time to delight in our own lives within God's world. And it gives us space and time to delight or to joy in God himself. So John Mark talks about joy being a feeling. He says that it's something that we, we experience when all is going well, when life is how it is meant to be. But he also says that joy is a condition. It's about the kind of person we are becoming, that we can become joyful people, that it's part of the fruit of the Spirit. But then he also says that joy is a discipline, that we are to practice joy when times are good, but also practice joy when times are hard. He talks how the Sabbath comes every seven days, irrespective of how your life is going, of what your week's been like. It comes every seven days. So this morning, I just want to share a few thoughts on joy. 
on the importance of joy to God, on the importance of joy to our spiritual lives, and on the strength of joy in times of sorrow, before then finally looking at how we can practice joy through this practice of Sabbath. I read this quote this week. We will never understand the significance of joy in human life until we understand its importance to God. Did you know that God is incredibly joyful? Joy is at the heart of God's plan for human beings, but joy is also at the heart of God himself. Uh, Dallas Willard, he calls God the happiest being in the universe. And we get a glimpse of this joy in the, uh, in the creation story in Genesis. God saw that all he had made, and it was very good. And then on the seventh day, he delighted in all of his work, or he joyed in all of his work. Again, John Mark Comer talks about this being at the heart of Sabbath delight. That the seventh day, it wasn't about that you know, God was so burned out from the previous six, but it was an opportunity for God to look at what he had done and to just delight in it. I was thinking about uh, who are the most joyful people in the world. And I would argue that often it's children. I don't think that children miss many opportunities for joy. When my children were younger, they found joy in almost everything they did, whether that was during bath times, during story times, or the games that we would play with them. They just found joy in all situations. But the joy in even the happiest child is just a fraction of the joy in the character of God. Uh, In his book, Orthodoxy, G.K. Chesterton speaks these words that I absolutely love. He says, Because children have abounding vitality... Because they are in spirit, fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again, and the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. (laughs) For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity, that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but he has just never got tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. The repetition in nature may not be mere recurrence. It may be a theatrical encore. God is so joyful, and he still delights in his work. But we also see joy in the Trinity, Uh, Karl Barth said these words, God's triune being is radiant, and what he radiates is joy. The Trinity's loving intermingling of persons, as if in a cosmic dance, radiates beauty. There's this image of joy or delight within the Trinity itself. We have this beautiful picture of the Father delighting in the Son, the Son delighting in the Spirit, and the Spirit delighting in the Father. There's just this enjoyment of one another's person that is at the heart of God himself. We see it in Christ. Joy and delight at the heart of Jesus. Jesus entered the world on a high note of celebration. What did the angel say to the shepherds? I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Jesus also left the world gifting joy to his disciples. He said, These things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. 
And therefore, if God is so joyful, then surely Sabbath, a day spent with God, should be a joyful day. Just for a moment, think of the most joyful person that you know in your life. And then think of spending a day with them. It would be a good day. You would have a good time with that person because they're full of joy. But I think for some of us, and certainly for me personally, from time to time, I think, you know, that the idea, my perception of spending a day with God is not always one of joy. I think for many of us, sometimes joy isn't necessarily the first thing we think of when we think of God. In culture around us, God is certainly not seen as joyful. In cartoons like The Simpsons, not that we should base our theology on The Simpsons, but God is often portrayed as angry, casting judgment down on the people below. Uh, The famous atheist Stephen Fry said that if God were to exist, then he is incredibly mean-minded. I often wonder how people's perception of God is influenced by joyless followers of God. Uh, James Joyce, he wrote a novel called A Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man. And in it, the protagonist decides not to become a priest after having a vision of what would happen to his face based on other religious people he knew. (laughs) He says his face would become a mirthless mask reflecting a sunken day, sour-faced and devout, shot with pink tinges of suffocated anger. (laughs) So as products of God's creation, as creatures made in his, his image, surely we are to reflect God's abounding joy in all of our lives. God is joyful, but joy is also a necessity for spiritual life. In the book of Nehemiah, we see Nehemiah, and he's talking to his grieving congregation. So the people had come to understand that they had disobeyed and they had neglected God. Yet in their repentance, God wanted them to be joyful rather than grovel in their guilt. So these are the words it says in Nehemiah. This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. And send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. It's what sustains us. We cannot do, and we cannot continue long in life without it. If you think about it, joy sustains us through so many areas of life. Women endure the pain of childbirth because the joy of motherhood lies on the other side. Often therapists talk about the difficult first years of marriage you know, a time of change and adapting to a new lifestyle, a new life with someone. Couples persevere through this difficult time because of the joy that a long life together with someone you truly love brings. We see this in things like learning an instrument. My boys are both learning piano at the moment, and whilst they might will themselves to practice, they wouldn't stick at it for long without the joy that being able to play a piece of music brings. So the question is, if joy is our strength, then surely its absence in us will create weakness. Um, I read a fantastic book recently called The Spirit of the Disciplines by a guy called Dallas Willard. And in it, he talks about the devil, that it's the devil's strategy to make sin look good to us. And that if we don't have joy in our life, then it compounds the problem. And he says these words... 
Failure to attain a deeply satisfying life always has the effect of making sinful actions seem good. Here lies the strength of temptation. Normally, our success in overcoming temptation will be easier if we are basically happy in our lives. To cut off the joys and pleasures associated with our bodily lives and social existence as unspiritual, then, can actually have the effect of weakening us in our efforts to do what is right. Is joy that brings us strength. For joyful people, their success in overcoming temptations will be easier. But, also, uh, but joy also brings us strength in times of sorrow. Right at the beginning, we heard that sorrow, times of sorrow is, are inevitable as Christians. You know, we're, we're not immune to this, um, and yet joy can bring us strength in these times. I read a book with my son, Joel, um, a year or so ago about the life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and I'm sure many of you will know his story. Uh, he was a German theologian and a pastor, um, and he took a courageous stand against Hitler and was subsequently persecuted by the Nazis. Uh, he was executed in a concentration camp just months before the end of the Second World War. Uh, and in, in his book, The Cost of, Dis of uh, Discipleship, he penned these words. The joy of God goes through the poverty of the manger and the agony of the cross. That is why it is invincible, irrefutable. It does not deny the anguish when it's there, but finds God in the midst of it. In fact, precisely there. It does not deny grave sin, but finds forgiveness precisely in this way. It looks death straight in the eye, but finds life precisely within it. Joy's not about putting our head in the sand and trying to deny our sorrow and pretend that it isn't there. But joy is finding God in the midst of our suffering, being able to hold on to his promises and trust in him completely. I would say joy is not so much about positive thinking, but what some theologians call eschatological thinking, i.e. thinking about the end of this present age and what is to come. And I think people like Bonhoeffer, and when you think about it, the writers of the New Testament who suffered so much, they were able to remain joyful because they viewed the events in their lives in light of the resurrection and in light of the ultimate triumph of the risen Christ. And this is what brought them joy. We see the words of John in the book of Revelation. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. This will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed. Um, I read a story this week in preparation for my talk, um, and it was about a couple who were getting married. And, uh, and in the story, it was actually the mother of the bride who had meticulously planned every last detail of the wedding. Uh, from an 18-piece brass and wind ensemble to 24 bridesmaids, groomsmen, flower petal throwers and ring bearers, a designer wedding dress and three video cameras to capture the day. And the story goes that the bride was standing in the reception hall and, uh, and she was alone with her father. 
And uh, she, to calm her nerves, she began to pick through some of the canapes that were awaiting the guests, and she washed it down with a glass of pink champagne. And as she entered the church hall, the first thing that the guests noticed about her wasn't her dress, but it was her face, because she was as white as a sheet. And she gingerly walked down to the front of the church, and then she vomited. <laughs> and this wasn't a polite, small vomit into a handkerchief. She literally sprayed the front row, hitting two bridesmaids, the groom, the ring bearer, and her mother. <laughs> and apparently the only two people smiling were the mother of the groom and the father of the bride. <laughs> and anyway, after this commotion, uh, they eventually pulled themselves together, and they had a much quieter, gentler ceremony in the reception hall. And the thing is, the things that usually happen at weddings still happened. People laughed and cried during the speeches. The groom held the bride throughout the ceremony. The bride and groom danced and kissed during the reception. Now, ten years after this event, uh, all of the people involved were invited back to celebrate this disaster, and they watched it back on video, and they laughed, and they reminisced. And the question the author of the story posed was, how could all these people rejoice when everything had gone wrong? And the answer? Because in spite of the mess, the bride still got the groom. And as a promise in Revelation, let us rejoice and exult and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. We can have joy because heaven's groom will get the bride. So maybe in your life today, maybe some of your best-made plans aren't turning out how you expected them to. Maybe you feel like you're in the middle of a disaster. The promise is heaven's groom will get the bride and that joy will reign forever and ever. So how can we practice, as Dallas Willard calls it, the discipline of joy, particularly in the context of Sabbath? Well, I thought I would just end by talking a little bit from personal experience. Um, so as a family, we have been trying to practice a regular Sabbath for the past couple of years now. And, um, and this really isn't meant to be a prescriptive list of how you're meant to do it. It's just what works for us at our stage of life. But for us, our Sabbath starts on a Friday evening. And uh, the first thing we do, we put our phones and devices in a drawer and we shut them away, which is kind of scary for 24 hours. Uh, we sit down with our children, and sometimes we read this, uh, this liturgy together, and it's really there just to bring focus to God and to express our gratitude towards him. And I think, you know, living a joyful life is a lot about gratitude. It's about being thankful to God for everything, even the small things. And then we eat a meal together. And because we want this to be a joyful occasion, we choose a meal that is a favorite for everyone. So on the menu at the moment, we have butter chicken, which... Uh, yeah, all the family just love. And because it's a special meal, we might go to a bit more effort. So I'm thinking, you know, homemade onion bhajis, homemade naan bread. And the thing is, you know, this kind of stuff really uh, fills my tank. It's what I, I really enjoy cooking. And uh, so again, if this isn't your idea of fun, then you don't have to do it. <laughs> and then following dinner, we might play a game or two. And then we usually try to get an early night. And, you know, I love an early night. If I can be in bed by 9 o'clock, then that is just so good. <laughs> and then after, you know, a period of rest, we get up the next morning, 
we have for breakfast, and then we'll do something as a family together. And that might be going for a walk in the countryside or heading down to the coast, or in the summer, just playing a game of cricket in the garden. And these activities, they're just opportunities for us, in the words of John Mark Comer, to delight in God's world, to delight in our lives within God's world, and to delight in God himself. So that might be, you know, delighting in the food that is on our table. Or it might be delighting in the rest that Sabbath brings. Or delighting in the beautiful world that God has created when we head out for a walk. Just this week in our connect group, we were talking about the wonder of God in creation. And it really is beautiful when you go out for walks and stuff like that. And for my wife, Rainy, and, and my boys, they're really into bird watching. Um, they love spotting birds when we go out for walks. And I must admit, I have never really been into this. I kind of joke with them that my favorite bird is a pigeon uh, served with potatoes and a red wine sauce. <laughs> but the boys, they really now know their birds and they're fascinated by them. And they, they mock me for my lack of bird knowledge. They will ask me to identify a bird and then laugh at me when I have no idea what it is. Uh, but I thought I'd got George the other day on a walk when I saw a magpie. And I said, what's that bird, George? And I think he hadn't quite seen it properly, so he went, oh, I don't know, it's a, it's a crow. And I kind of laughed at him, well, it's not a crow, it's a magpie. And he looked at me with this kind of deadpan expression and went, don't you know that magpies and crows are part of the same family? I was <laughs> mocked by an eight-year-old. But this kind of stuff, it brings us joy, it brings us delight. But in order to try and delight in Sabbath... There's also a few things that we've chosen not to do. We, we've decided that we're not going to watch TV. Again, it's not a prescriptive list of things you have to do and things you don't have to do, but for us, we don't want to watch TV. I don't know about you, but for as much as I enjoy binge-watching a series of Happy Valley, it doesn't leave me pondering on the beauty and wonder of God. <laughs> we don't do housework and we don't do shopping. Which means in order to practice Sabbath, there's some preparation. On a Thursday night, we have to tidy the house and go to the shops and get everything in preparation for our Sabbath. As I said, we don't try and use our phones. Again, for me, my phone can become a distraction. And, you know, it's, it's, I end up watching you know, half an hour of funny cat videos or something like that. So if you're practicing Sabbath this week, if it's something that you're getting into for the first time, or maybe you've been practicing it for a while, this week, why not look for ways to make it joyful? I just thought it's important to say as well that Sabbath delight, and for that matter, joy, it's not about hedonism. Hedonism, the, the definition is, it's the demand for more and more pleasure for personal gratification. And it follows the law of diminishing returns in that what produced joy in us yesterday no longer does today. So hedonism actually causes our joy to diminish. But when we practice Sabbath delight, when we rejoice, we exercise our ability to feel and to see goodness in the simplest gifts of God. We're able to delight in something today that perhaps we didn't even notice yesterday and our capacity for joy increases. Now, in preparation for this talk, Rainey told me, she said, I don't want you to make out that our Sabbath is some kind of utopia where we are just so joyful with one another and we have this kind of wonderful time. 
there is another reality to this. Uh, so for us, Sabbath, as I said, it's been a journey. Um, and therefore, don't feel guilty if, if you're practicing this or if you're about to practice it and it doesn't quite feel how you think it should be. Uh, as I said, it takes time. We've been doing it for a couple of years and we still feel that we have so much more to learn, so much more to experience within this practice. You know, it definitely isn't a utopia every week. For every night we, have, we play fun games together, there is always a night where there are tantrums and tears because someone has landed on Mayfair with a hotel. <laughs> and that's usually me. <laughs> it's funny because it's true. <laughs> For every peaceful walk in the countryside, there is a walk along the beach where one of your sons holds the other son so that the sea comes over his feet, soaking his socks and his shoes, and there's a long walk home to the car with a cold and upset child. But despite the imperfections, for me personally, I want to continue to use Sabbath as an opportunity to cultivate joy in my life. Because what we cultivate on Sabbath, we will live out the rest of the week. And I don't know about you, but I want to be someone who learns how to stop, how to rest in Jesus, and how to rejoice in all things. Thank you.